Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're looking at James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. And I've titled this talk, Words Create Worlds. That's a phrase from an American preacher called Jackie Hill Perry. Okay, so let's have a look at our our scripture. So it says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they're so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed amongst our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth... Come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives? Or a grapevine, figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Boom. There's business for these verses, don't they? So this morning, I want you to be involved in this talk, active in exploring uh, this passage with me. So first, just for the fun of it, can anybody do that party trick where you can touch your nose with your tongue? Is anybody able to do that? Have we got any really... Oh, Rob Horner. Look at this. What a gifting. Look at this. Very impressive. I like that. Okay, the second thing I want you to do is I want you just to speak with the person closest to you and I want you to tell them the kindest words that have been spoken to you. Just some lovely things that somebody has said over your life. Okay, just swap over. And then secondly, I want you to privately, you're not going to share this, think about some words that have been spoken over you that harmed. And just silently for yourselves, just ponder maybe some harsh words as well that somebody has said over your life as well. So we've thought of kind words. We've thought of harsh words. My last question is, what do you think are the most significant words that you could ever hear over the whole course of your lifetime, what would those massively significant words be? Anybody, any suggestions of what? I do. do. Love that. I do. Nice. Very, very significant. Levi? Yes. Yes. Well, in certain circumstances, yes, would be a very uh, significant word, wouldn't it? No. No. Nice. I like what you did there. I was thinking of things like, you've been granted refugee status. Here are your exam results. It's a girl. Your cancer is in remission. Here's the keys to your new house. 
Jesus loves you. Kind words, harsh words, significant words. And the first point I want us to explore today is how our words, both spoken and digital, affect our lives and affect our world. So think about what we speak over ourselves, what we speak over others, and what we speak about God. So let's start by looking at the pictures that James uses to help us. Okay, so in verse 3, he talks about a bit. A bit is a metal piece that goes inside a horse's mouth and is attached to a bridle, uh, which the rider uses to control the horse. And without the bit in its mouth, you can see the second picture, the horse can throw the riders because horses are powerful. We rank cars by their brake horsepower. The higher the horsepower, the more power the car has and the faster the top speed. The second picture in verse 4 that James uses is of a rudder, which is a really small part of a ship that determines the direction that it will go. And they're only about 2% of the size of a cargo ship, but without it, the ship will go round in circles. And when life seems to be lacking direction, we say it's rudderless. The third picture that James gives us in verse 5 is of a tiny spark of flame that can swiftly become a huge wildfire. Wildfires can spread at over 14 miles an hour and they cause absolute and complete devastation. So James is making the point here that a small thing, like a rudder or a bit or a spark, can have a disproportionately large impact. Our tongues, though although being a small part of our body, can speak words that harm and words that do good. I want to tell you a story. I became a Christian when I was 21 years old. And about a week after becoming a Christian, um, I'd become a Christian on an Alpha course. I was on my last year at uh, uni in London. And about a week after becoming a Christian, I went and got a tattoo done. I got this tattoo done, and it's uh, the word peace in Cantonese. And I didn't have any Christian family, any Christian friends. The person who had introduced me to Jesus was doing a four-year degree, and she was living in France. So I didn't have anybody around. But so I started attending the church that had hosted the Alpha course. It was a trek. It was like 40 minutes away. Anyway, the Sunday after I'd got my tattoo done, I drove off to church with my Cliff Richard cassette in my car. That's all I had. He kept me going. It's so bearing in mind, so I'd been a Christian about two weeks. And I'd seen this guy at the church, and he's like a middle-aged guy, shaved head, covered in tattoos. So I made a beeline for him. I said, oh, look, look, I've had a tattoo done. It means peace. And these were his words. Have you not read the Bible? I said, not all of it. I've been a Christian two and a half weeks. No. And he said, well, it says in the Bible that you should not permanently mark your body. The impact of his words was huge. When I left that church that day, I was this close to never, ever going back. His words crushed me. Sticks and stones will break your bones and words will never hurt you. That's a lie. That's a lie. And this is serious stuff. James is brutal. In verse 8, he says the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James says that our mouths can literally participate with Satan and do his bidding. If we gossip or badmouth or slander or lie about someone or set up a false account on TikTok so that you can be anonymous and put somebody down or wind a situation up, what we're doing is we're destroying someone for whom Christ died. It says in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians. Jesus bore in his body on the tree the sins of my lips and my tongue. But there is a flip side. And good words can do remarkable things. 
I guess the most incredible example of the power of words is surely Genesis 1. Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God spoke creation into being. That's all it took. God spoke, and it happened. God spoke, and it happened. I think teachers, parents, and cat owners can only dream of that level of obedience. There's a, the next picture is of another person who used good words. This man is called Don Ritchie. He lived across the street from the most famous suicide spot in Australia, known as The Gap. He lived there for almost 50 years, and during that time, he saved at least 180 people from suicide by striking up a conversation and inviting them to his house for tea. He was nicknamed the Angel of the Gap. The power of words. Next picture. Does anybody know who this next picture is? It's not Miley Cyrus. Good luck. It's Taylor Swift, Andy. Get with the programme. So Taylor Swift is this phenomenally, other than to Andy Armstrong, phenomenally famous singer-songwriter from America. And uh, last year at one of her concerts, she happened to mention uh, a women's project in the States that she had been really impressed with. And support for that project went up by 4,000% in one week. 4,000% in one week just from the Swifties getting involved and supporting that project because she'd chosen to mention it during her speech. But we also need to remember when to not speak. For lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there's no whisperer, quarrelling ceases. There will be times when we could add fuel to the fire. But choosing to close our mouths denies oxygen to the flame of gossip. Now, the second point I want to look at comes from verses 9 to 12. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. We must confront the hypocrisy. Perhaps we've forgotten that what we say about God and what we say about people are both forms of worship. It's just not acceptable to say, I love you, Lord, I hate you, neighbour. James 1.8 says that such speech is a mark of the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. This affected even the disciples. Peter's tongue confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God, but also denied Jesus with curses. John said, little children love one another, but he also wanted to say the word to bring down fire from heaven upon a Samaritan village. It is blatant hypocrisy and sin to bless God and then casually curse his image bearers. Jesus calls us to be people of integrity, to be people of authenticity. The third point I want us to think about is to see the connection between our heart and our tongue. What comes out of our mouths is usually an accurate index of the health of our heart. And CJ is going to read the words from Luke 6, 43 to 45. If our speech is polluted, that pollution has occurred upstream. If our heart is polluted, then our speech will also be. If our heart is pure, it will come through in the way that we speak. Where's Joseph? Joseph's going to tell us the words from Psalm 51, 10. Great in me, a great heart, O God. Great in me, a great spirit. Thanks, Joseph. Create in me a new heart, O God. The tongue projects the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This next slide is um, a picture of Donald Trump. Last week, 
He was given a gag order in one of his criminal trials. The courts are literally trying to close his mouth because of the damage of his words. Good luck with that. And I have to be honest, I'm really, really genuinely worried about the increase in what is described as hate speech. (coughs) Words spoken with divisive, mean intent, seemingly from corrosive hearts. Hateful words are spoken in newspapers, by politicians, in snaps and WhatsApp groups, on TikTok videos. And there is a direct connection from those words to hateful actions from those words to hateful actions towards certain groups. Migrants, people from the traveller community, young people, people on benefits. There is a direct connection. And James says that the tongue is an instrument of extraordinary power. Its most significant connection is to the heart, whether it's hardened by sin or recreated by grace. And here's the good news. If we let him, God will renew our hearts. This is the process where we can be hopeful that our tongue can be tamed. As God changes us from the inside out, we will find that our previously ungodly patterns of speech are changed and our life is taken in a new direction. I told you earlier that I became a Christian when I was 21. And the very first thing that my friends at uni commented on was that I had immediately stopped swearing. They noticed that I stopped swearing. Prior to that, I swore like a trooper. And that alpha weekend, something changed. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but verbal violence and swearing is just not something that sits with me anymore. And it was really interesting that that was the first thing that was noticed. Something had changed in my heart. And if we're to heed what James is urging us here about our speech, we must ultimately deal with the content of our hearts. What you say bears witness to who you really are. A tree's fruit is supposed to correspond to a tree's nature. We've heard that in two of our Bible readings today. We have to deal with the source of our words. We must pay attention to the words our hearts produce. And my last point this morning is that we need to move beyond just personal application. We must use our words to make better worlds. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion and it means good news so what was the good news that jesus declared at the onset of his ministry fulfilling the words of the prophet isaiah what did he say that famous day when he unfurled the scroll he said that he would reach out to the poor bringing liberty to captives and the oppressed and sight to the blind the gospel that jesus preached reached far beyond just personal piety he invited his followers into a movement that would change the whole world for the better. Use our words to make better worlds. Speak the truth, even if your voice shakes. Now, some of you will be aware of the investigation into the conduct of the well-known UK Christian leader, Mike Pilavachi. Among other abusive behaviour, claims have been substantiated that he used words to coerce and bully young adults who were apprenticed to him over many years. And over those years, no one spoke up. Or if they did, they were not listened to in a way that led to action. Then, within this last year, some courageous people did speak up, their voices no doubt shaking. Speaking out has a long tradition in the Bible. Reverend Dr Martin Luther King Jr. was incredibly gifted at speaking out. 
His was a key voice in the civil rights movement in the 1960s in America. And at Washington National Cathedral on March 31st, 1968, he said this with the voice of a modern-day prophet. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. He used his words to try to build a better world. But five days after that speech, his voice was silenced when he was murdered. And sometimes lack of words can build better worlds. During last year's uh, Football World Cup, the Iranian men's team refused to sing their national anthem in protest against their government's brutality. This next picture is of a man called Oscar Romero on the left. He's one of my heroes. He was a Catholic priest from El Salvador who was deeply committed to speaking out on behalf of the poorest in his community. And that made him some enemies. And in 1980, he was killed in his own church. The guy on the right, does anybody know who that is? Go on, Jacob. Yeah, he's called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, he was a German theologian who was very vocal in his opposition against Nazism. And um, he famously said this, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. We're either building up the kingdom of God or we're hampering it. How do we speak over our children? How have we spoken down to a community? Might we have crushed someone's enthusiasm? Could we have sparked an idea? And what can we learn from how Jesus used his words? We're called to imitate him. So how did he use words? So he used wise words as a boy in the temple when he was about 12 years old. You're listening, Levi and Josiah? Wise words. <laughs> he was tempted by the devil to use words for power, but he instead he used those words from scripture to resist. He cast out demons. He used liberating words. He spoke authoritative words to the waves on that boat in the Sea of Galilee. And he spoke obedient words in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. It is finished. He used redeeming words. So we've looked at how words create worlds. What do we do now? What do we do with this? Do we just sit and listen and move on into Sunday afternoon? I believe our first action is to repent. American pastor Greg Laurie says repentance means being sorry enough to stop. We must repent of the way we've used words to tear down rather than build up. This is about spiritual maturity. Just how serious are we about following and imitating Jesus? There is a call for us to repent from the way we've used our words in destructive ways that don't honour God. To repent of times when we've stayed silent when we should have spoken up. And secondly... I think we could challenge ourselves to learn to speak with a Jesus-like accent. Looking around just this room, there's a beautiful diversity of regional and national accents. But what would the twang and cadence be of a Jesus accent? Thinking of what we just looked at in terms of the way Jesus used authoritative words, redemptive words. How could we speak with a Jesus-like accent? And thirdly, how can we resolve to speak differently, speak up, or stay silent? In Job 31.1, Job made a covenant with his eyes in order to bind his heart to the pattern of holiness he needed to develop. So we could say, I will make a covenant with my tongue. 
we can resolve to speak more life and speak no death. And church, this is about wholehearted devotion to the way of Jesus. It's about refusing to be hypocritical. It's about living with integrity and authenticity and speaking with courage and wisdom. Words create worlds. And I want mine to be creating God's world, restored to its original beauty. I want my words to contribute to flourishing, not finding fault. The quality of public discourse in our societies at times become really toxic. It's been said that we're living in a post-truth culture. People are using words in cruel, divisive and exaggerated ways. But we're called to be different. We're followers of a different kingdom, a different way of being in the world. We are the people of God. We know truth. We know life. And we know the way. And his name is Jesus Christ. Can I ask Rob and uh, Sam to come back up to help us into a time of ministry? I've been praying a lot about this talk this morning. And you need to know that I'm preaching to myself. I am a gob on sticks at times. As I'm sure my sons and certainly my husband, if he wasn't on shift, would be telling you. So it's very pertinent. Your voice shakes when you're saying things that you know you're not doing. But as I was praying, I really felt the Lord wanted to do some business with us this morning. And so, can we pray as we're worshipping in this time of ministry? Can we pray for healing from word scars? At the beginning, I asked you just to pause and reflect on some words that might have been spoken over you that were harsh. Let's pray for those scars to be healed. Because sticks and stones... That's a lie, isn't it? Secondly, let's ask the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts so that we speak differently. This is a heart issue. And finally, let's ask for the courage and wisdom that we'll need to do that. Amen.